Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, it certainly is my favourite time of the week when myself, Ollie Geel, and of course, Australia's third favourite son, Mark Schwarzer, as he just has a little giggle to himself there. Uh, we sit down over a bottle of the Burgundy Grape and taste uh, and share our love of red wine. And towards the end of the episode, we'll compare it to a player, past or present. But Mark, it's business as usual. You're back in England. Of course, you're quarantining, so still can't see you physically, but we're on the same time zone. And uh, we're just almost, almost there, aren't we? We're almost back together again. We're, almost, we're in touching distance, aren't we? Mm. Um, unfortunately, even next week, we won't be able to because I come out of quarantine on the Tuesday. So effectively from no. the Wednesday... Next week, I'm, I'm out of quarantine. So we've still got this in another episode to, to be a part. And then after that, we're back. The we're team on. is back. Oh, I can't wait because your mother's milk has been decantering now for about three months. So yeah, has, it's ready it's got, to has go. It got mold, has it got mold on the surface? I haven't checked. But as the, as the intro suggests, I think we've definitely decanted for long enough. Uh, Mark, pumped for this one. Plenty to talk about. It's been an absolutely wild and woolly weekend uh, in the Premier League. Of course, now we get a little bit of respite uh, going into the um, uh, international break. It is also transfer deadline day. So I've got uh, all the action going on to the screen to my left. And if anything happens during this recording, of course, we'll update you. But I'm sure there'll be some movements after we've finished uh, the recording. Uh, Firstly... Well, now you're uh, showing off, aren't you? So I better turn my computer on to make sure that I know what's going on as well. Because I couldn't have it that you're the only one that knows what's going on live. That's, yeah, never been the case. That's no. A, no. So you get that up. And while you get that up, so we're, we're across everything in the world of the Premier League on Transfer Deadline Day, I'll run you through what wine I'm having. I'm going for a Pedrara. Pedrara, I think, yes, it's pronounced. A Spanish wine, full-flavoured, unoaked, uh, capturing the essence of Jumilla. Do you know much about Jumilla? It's uh, some sort of uh, municipality in the middle of Spain, uh, which um, it looks... No. Looks, no, no, no. Even <laughs> like you've got Google open. You know you could have cheated, but I respect that. Uh, nice 25-year-old vines, nice and smooth and complete red. So I'm very much looking forward to this one, Mark. Absolutely. That's brilliant, mate. I've got a, I'm going for another Spanish one, of course. So I'm, mm-hmm. still, you know, I'm still living off the back of the fact that I, lived, I was in Spain now for nearly three months. So before I left, I decided to restock uh, the, the wine supply a little bit. Mm. And I brought back a bottle of, well, actually, I brought back four bottles, I have to say, of Fincas yeah. uh, del Lebrel. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very nice Rioja. And I have to say, I've already had one bottle yeah. and it was very enjoyable. And again, you know, Rioja is pretty, pretty standard these days. It's a bit like your, uh, your Shiraz. Yep. Very warm, very hearty, and 
very easy to drink, I have to say again. Now, just looking over Zoom, though, it says it's 2014 vintage and it's got a stamp on it, which says to me, if it's got a stamp, it's good quality. That can't be in the famous four to five, six pound range for you. Surely not. Uh, this was actually, I bought this at uh, one of the supermarkets, very, very, uh, very bargain hunting sort of supermarkets called Little. And, uh, and I think it was, if I, cor- if I remember correctly, around the seven euros. Amazing. Yes. Um, it's got a 90, 90 point rating. 2014's got uh, five stars. Yes. So it's, um, like I said, very tasty. That's obviously what drew me to the bottle as well. Seeing that 90, that little, that little badge there, badge yeah. of honor. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to give that a go. And in fact, I'm going to get four bottles of it. <laughs> I love it. Because if it's not very good, it's just going to end up in a hot pot. But it is very good. So it's not going in the hot pot. Yeah, oh God, no, no, no. That's, yeah, we, we love it in food. It tastes nice, but it always hurts our feelings when we have to actually put it in. But let's get stuck yes. into the footy. So there's so much to talk about. I think the elephant in the room is, of course, what happened uh, with both Liverpool and Manchester United. I think we'll just leave that one on ice for a little bit. Actually, we'll decant those two storylines and we'll taste that after the halftime drinks. But we'll start with the Saturday's early kickoff uh, between Chelsea and pa- Crystal Palace. It was an interesting first half, very much an arm wrestle. And then out of nowhere, uh, Chelsea, they, they flexed their muscles in the second half. Yeah, they did. And, um, it, you know, Crystal Palace generally go to Stafford Bridge and give Chelsea a really, really good run for their money, make it a very difficult uh, uh, experience normally for them. And I think, you know, for the first 45 minutes, they did very much that. Second half, it was just the extra quality that paid dividends. And then in the end, I think Crystal Palace just fell apart a little bit. And I think... You know, during this period of time when there's no fans in the stadiums, and we've seen this now, a lot, a lot of goals being scored, mm. uh, particularly this season, uh, even, even, even last season, but even more so this season. And I think part of that is because of the ability to kind of hide a little bit. Um, there's no real expectation. There's obviously no expectation or very little expectation in the stadium. There's no fans. There's no pressure. And players almost can give up a little bit can almost uh, throw their toys out of the pram, be upset about the performance, about goals, maybe their teammates, spit the dummy a bit, and there's no fans on their back. Yes, once you get off the pitch, there is, but not in the stadium. So I, I think one of the reasons we're seeing so many goals being scored is that teams falling apart because they're just giving up to a large degree, losing all sense of composure and having very little pressure externally to make sure they're on top of their game. And at the very least playing for their shirt right to the end, which fans demand in the stadium. So let's, uh, I mean, lots of positives to, to dissect from a Chelsea point of view, but there was one thing that I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, and it might be harsh, might not be. We know he scored a hat-trick. Yes, admittedly, it was against Barnsley. So read into that what you will. But when I was watching Kai Havertz, I was really, I've been really surprised. He looks, that his physicality doesn't seem to be what you would expect from, from someone that expensive. His creativity, he does, didn't seem to be making the runs, the, those exciting through balls. Um, I, I, just, I just wonder, Mark, but is he, he's obviously a talent, a serious talent, but is he Premier League talent? Because at the end of the day, it's Crystal Palace, Mark. Like, he should have really been, been tearing it up, but the amount of times that he'd lose a challenge and then would just sort of go, ah, oh, oh, that's a shame. Whereas you want when- just persistence. Yeah, when he was in Germany at Leverkusen, um, you know, when he first broke onto the scene, he had Julian Brunt there with him at Leverkusen. And Julian Brunt, everything went through him. And Kai Havertz played off him. 
And it was at times effective and, and, and there was some really good stuff, really good football being played. But uh, Kai Harvitz would go missing a lot of the times. Um, he, he, was, he was an in-and-out player. He just sort of floated in and out of the game as the game flowed. Um, once Julian, Julian Brunt left Dortmund, uh, sorry, Leverkusen for Dortmund, which was the beginning of last season, Kai Havertz came into his own. He became the main man. He became the main focal point in the team. So, and that's when he had his best season uh, in, in, in the Bundesliga and definitely where, he's, where he's, uh, the publicity surrounding him went through the roof. So I'm wondering whether it's a, he's a player that really does need to be that, that main focal point in the team to be able to maybe give him that little bit of extra pressure, but everything goes through him. Every ball goes through him. Every, every bit of play goes through him. At Chelsea, you don't have that necessarily. There's a number of players, any number of players you want uh, to dictate a game. And so at times, he's a little bit isolated in and out of the game. The pace of the game is different. That's going to take him time to adapt to. Um, but I, I always had my doubts uh, when he was in Germany. I wasn't quite seeing what everyone saw in him in terms of this remarkable player. Yes, you saw glimpses, but you never saw it consistently. Um, only until the last season where we saw it a little bit more consistently. So therefore, I, I wonder if it's a case of he needs to be that main focal point in the team for the, the, you know, for the game to surround him, for him to really exceed. Um, and, and at the moment, at Chelsea, he, he's very rarely been given that opportunity to be that. But I can't say, how would you even do that at a, in a team like Chelsea? There's too, there's too many names. Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, uh, what they're trying to do is by giving that sort of central role in behind the striker is trying to get him on the ball as often as possible. Um, but again, you know, Chelsea do play a lot down the wings, down the sides. Um, they, they want that interaction, that, in, that link-up play with the number nine and, 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 and your number 10. Um, against lesser opposition, that worked very well. That's where he scores his hat-trick. His understanding with Tammy Aram was excellent. That's why also the very next game, Tammy Aram starts together with Kai Arvart, um, you know, against West Brom. So, so it's just going to take time. It's going to take time for the understanding to grow, not only between, say, Abraham and, and, um, and uh, Kai Arvart, but the rest of the team. Add to the mix, you've got Timo Werner, you know, and, and he's someone that since the Premier League started, hasn't scored in the Premier League yet and has floated in and out of games. But it's also, again, take it into context. When he was at Leipzig, Leipzig was set up to supply Timo Werner with the opportunities. They were very much that countering, countering football team. Whereas Chelsea are not necessarily that countering team. I think what will happen is Timo Werner will probably come into, his, into it more when they're playing against better teams um, in terms of having they have less possession and when they do get to chance to go on the counter, he'll be more involved. Whether or not he's effective enough or not is another thing, but I think he'll get on the ball more. Um, against... Lesser opposition, teams that drop in, drop deeper, can, can you know, uh, congest the space, don't allow players to run behind. It takes a lot out of, out of uh, takes a lot away from Timo Werner's game. So moving on to another a very interesting game, very highly talked about uh, game in anticipation for it was Leeds and Manchester City ended one all fantastic result uh, for Leeds. It was a wild and woolly day in terms of the weather, uh, but it was... If you listen to the commentators, it was uh, it was like you were watching, you know, El Clasico at, at the you know the, the peak of their powers for both sides. Like they were loving it, but it's true. It was fascinating. It was two two uh, very very smart footballing brains that know each other very well going up against each other, and it was a real case of chess, wasn't it? That's how it felt for me. 
Isn't it great though? Like, you know, you, you've got the Manchester City who have played in the first half, played extremely well and probably should have put the game out of reach. Um, Edison made some really good saves um, in the game, was put under pressure as well. So Leeds did go on the front foot. And it's amazing. You know, you've got two teams, similar styles, um, but you've got very different teams because you've got one team that's full of international world-class stars and another one of barely players that are known, yes. uh, are becoming more well-known, players that, uh, you know, were, were like Patrick Baffert were at big clubs and ended up going out because he quite, didn't quite make the grade there. Pablo Hernandez towards the twilight of his career, you know, back in the Premier League. Um, and Leeds gave him a proper run for their money. And, you know, fortunate probably to get a result because of the mistake from Edison, but on chances created, probably deserved it, but then hung on a bit towards the end as well. So could have either gone either way, but a fair result, I suppose, in the end. But it's interesting to see, obviously, Bielsa's doing an incredible job. And the big question mark is, is Pep Guardiola doing as good a job as he should be doing with that crop of players? And at the moment, he's not. And, and the question is, is it a case of now, and let's not forget, Pep Guardiola always said, three years at a club is long enough. Long enough for me and long enough for the players. But he's, he's, he's overstayed that now mm. at Manchester City with very little change in personnel since since that third year's come along. Yes, he hasn't had every single player for three years, but he's had most of those players now for two seasons. So is it now that third season where the players are no longer listening to that voice as much? Is it the same voice always being spoken? Is, is the physical, the mental, sorry, the mental toll taking its toll now mm. on the players because of the demand he puts on his players? And that's part of the reason why Pep Guardiola also said that he needed a break after three years because he was so physically drained, mentally drained from all the effort, all the, the, the constant uh, messaging, the constant coaching that he does to his players. So are they at a point now where he, he needs a break or he needs a complete overhaul of his team before we're going to see more success at Manchester City again? Do you think your gut says that we've seen the best of that City can offer under Pep? It almost feels that way. I, I I think we'll get we'll we'll have glimpses again. There's no doubt you'll have performances again where you look at it and go, "That's that's what you expect from this team." There's no doubt. I mean, first half against Leeds, yeah, that was Man City close to their best again. Obviously, yes, they're missing they're missing two of their main strikers, and that that is a big blow. But they have also got the luxury of having world class players in other positions. So, and more often they've done it before in the past, where they've they've rotated their their number nine, they've played Sterling up front, and they've interchanged. Um, so there's no reason why that can't continue and it should continue for the short term until one of their strikers gets back for the game. Um, defensively, they've had massive issues. Yes, now they've, they've looked to, to, to sort part of it out by bringing Diaz in. Uh, and that only, that only came, went into full swing after they got, they got hammered by, by Leicester at home, 5-2. But there's definitely some big cracks appearing in the Manchester City side. So uh, it's time for the, the great stitch up. I've been really excited to talk about this man because we didn't get the opportunity to last week because he weren't on the show. But your man, Messler, he's had two ripping games in a row. Some unbelievable games. Are we starting, are you starting to change your mind maybe a little bit? Not that you were ever like totally negative about him, but certainly in the first, first you know, couple opening games. Well, he, was poor in, he was poor in the first game at Liverpool. Yeah. I thought, he was, I thought he was poor. And, and you're right. Since then, he's actually played really, really well. So, 
I mean, you, you call it how it is. I'm not saying, I, I said that maybe that's the position they need to look at. And, and absolutely, and I still believe they possibly could look to bring in another goalkeeper of experience. At the very least, to challenge, to be there in case he hits another point. Because I, I, I don't think there's any doubt that there'll be a point in the season where he's going he's gonna to hit a slumming form. The question is how quickly he turns that around again. Because everyone goes through it. Everyone goes through it throughout the course of a season. You make a mistake. You go in a, uh, some, some make a mistake and then recover straight away. Some make a mistake and then the doubt creeps in and they, the pressure comes from the manager, the fans, everything else. And then the, the mistakes start to snowball. And it's a bit like Jordan Pickford, um, De Gea. You know, these guys have been making far too many mistakes of late. Kepa did it. You know, so that's why Chelsea in the end also made the the, the substitute, you know, the, the change brought in Mendy to replace Kepa because of the mistakes that he kept making. Um, so for me, Leeds, if they could, you'd be looking to bring in another very experienced goalkeeper. So you mentioned one name there, Jordan Pickford. Fascinating game for Everton against Brighton. They were just, they're just rampant at the moment. They are so good to watch. But do you get the sense that Pickford is almost their only real weak link? It's sort of, sort of how it looks at the moment. It doesn't look like Leeds are going to change... Uh, sorry, uh, Everton are going to change anything in terms of the goalkeeping department. I, I think Ancelotti's made that decision that he's going to stick with him for the time being. Um, that's not to say that, that, you know, obviously we've still got time for, for things to change. Could still happen today. Um, that They could bring in a goalkeeper. Maybe because his last two performances have been poor. That he's cost them three goals in the last two games. Albeit one being, one being a cup game. Um, but the, the only thing I would say is that he's gotten away of it because they still won the games. The, the, the bigger issue will be if they start costing him, you know, it's costing Everton games. Are they prepared to wait for that? That the, poss- the possibility may occur that, or that the, it may end up eventuating into actually mistakes are continuing as they have over the last 18 months or so, 12 months, because I think he's been very poor um, for, for the standards he set before. He's been very average. Um, so the question is, and this is a, the decision that obviously Carlo Angelotti will make, is that is, there, is he going to overcome them? Are the mistakes not going to cost us or cost us too often? And are his better performances actually going to win us points? And that's the, they're, they're all the questions he needs to weigh up. Um, I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if they would, wouldn't be scrambling around today trying to find someone of quality, someone of, of, of vast experience in the Premier League at top flight football to come in and apply a bit more pressure on him. So <clears throat> what did you make of Matty Ryan's performance? Do you think, in particular, James's two goals, they were quite similar, almost, almost mirror image, really. Was he at fault in that situation or was he just sucked into playing to his right post and then just totally left open... Well, it was a switch of play, isn't it? It's a yeah. switch of play from the cross. So as a goalkeeper, you've got, to, you've got to close the ball down. So the ball starts off on one side of the goal and then it ends up being, being cross-switched past to the far side. And then you've got to make your move across. You know, he, 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 there's no way in the world, in my opinion, you can blame Manny Ryan for any of those goals. Um, it, it's just a case of being, being, I think, poor marking in the box from Brighton. You know, if you leave a player like James Rodriguez free, he's going to score. He's got the quality to do so. So, no, for me, there's no, there's no blame whatsoever directed towards Matty, Matty Ryan. 
How exciting is Everton to watch at the moment, though? What Ancelotti seems to be doing. It's just, it's, do you get, I mean, it's completely different in a sense to what uh, Leicester achieved in 2016 because, you know, there's, there's Leicester and then Everton, you know. But at the same time, do you, do you or, get the or, sense? Or is, it, or, is it, or is it Leicester and Everton here? I, I, mean, I suppose I should say for people listening, <laughs> this, pro- this part probably doesn't translate too well, but we've got the hands uh, to signal where they are. Uh, either better or worse. But you would say 2016. What, what, what are you saying? What are you saying? Are you, are you saying Leicester are a, better, a bigger club, better club, better team than Everton or the other way around? Maybe now. But what I'm saying is that going into 2016, when you've had a club that's come up from the championship, you'd never in a million years think that Leicester are going to win the Premier League, whereas Everton are in a better position to probably do so. But do you why? get that? Why? 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 Finance, financially, uh, we, like in terms of what we hang know. On, hang on, are they? Are they? You've got Leicester, you've got Thai ownership that are worth billions. Yeah. You've got, you've got Everton ownership that are worth billions. So I mean, that's only been recent. I'm t- no, I'm talking about if you were to compare it to 2016. You've just had it. You, you can't tell me that a club that's just come up from the championship is in a better spot than an Everton. Like that's... Now, completely different story. You would say that. No, but all I would say is, all I would say is that it depends on what you make of those of those opportunities. So, yes, the season of uh, twenty what was it uh, twenty fourteen? Sorry, twenty fifteen. Yeah, fourteen fifteen. Fourteen fifteen, where we stayed up at Leicester, the skin of our teeth. You know, we're on a run of winning eight out of the last ten games, drawing one and losing one, and stayed up in the Premier League. Obviously not. Everton clearly are above. The next season, even though Everton have been in the Premier League for so long now, they've, they've flattered to deceive for most years. You know, th- there was a period of time there under, under, under um, David Moyes where they finished in the Champions League position. They did finish in Europe quite regularly and, and, and that was a great accomplishment. But other than that, they haven't really accomplished a lot. Do you think that it's a 2016 in the making? Are we seeing something special? Very early on, but... Yeah, it, but it, I, I don't think... If Everton were to win the league now, it would be as special as what Leicester did in 2016. No, come on. It would be nowhere near as special as what Leicester did. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's nowhere near it. Yeah. So it, it would be still a remarkable accomplishment. Don't get me wrong. It'd still be an amazing feat for, for, for Everton to go on and win the Premier League. But they're obviously, that's a long, long way away right now. Um, but they've had an incredible start to the season. And it's exciting to see. And for the first time in a long, long time, I would have thought that most Evertonians are thinking, actually, you know, in two weeks' time when they play the, 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 uh, the Merseyside Derby, and it, by the way, the day they play it is the 10th year anniversary of the last time Everton won a Merseyside Derby. Look out. So, so there's, there's, a huge, you know, there's a huge chance, I believe, that Everton can win that game. Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds and Markets. Uh, it, it's not going to be a joyous halftime. This is going to be almost surreal. You know, you, you're down 3-0 and you're about to get a spray. Uh, nothing that you've done, um, but just in terms of... We, it, we need to talk about something really serious. There's been a, a for, departure... What, for a change? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's been a departure uh, at Arsenal uh, here on deadline day and it's it's broken my heart as a fan. Uh, Arsenal have let go of Gunasaurus, given, the, given him the sack. They are able to keep Mesut Ozil on the books, but they got to let go of the guy who wears the Gunasaurus outfit because of COVID-19 impact in the financial side of things. Could okay. you get anything more embarrassing? That is heartbreaking. Gunnosaurus is an institution. He is yeah, part of the fabric. I, no, I, I, get, I get that, right? I, I totally get that. However, who's going to a game? Oh, where, I am. where is he going to actually... Yeah, but you're the only one going to a game right now. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, you know, find, you know, think yourself very, very fortunate to be in that place in that position to, to go to a game because no one's getting a chance to see Ganosaurus. No. And it's not like he can go do some work in the community. Um, let's, let's hope he's just been put on, well, temporary gardening leave until such time as fans are back. I mean, they will be. He will be. He'll be back. Don't worry. It's just temporary. You just, surely you put him out on loan. Like, send him out to the, to the National where do you where do you, where do you see him on loan? There's, like, no one going anywhere. No, but there will, because, you know, you've got the pilot games that they're introducing in the AFL. You could definitely send him out to Borumwood and, you know, <laughs> where there might what, be Arsenal 200 fans there. No, Arsenal, no, no. Uh... Put him out on loan in the Borumwood outfit. Uh, you know, just, just, you can't let him go. Yeah, that's, but but that, but that's harsh. But they'll have their own one. They'll have their own one. Yeah, but maybe we could, you could, they could sign him as backup just to put pressure on the back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm oh. sorry. And if you're Mesut Ozil, you're surely not sitting there going, all right, look, I'm going to just give you what I earn today and that will, will cover the cost to, to keep Ganosaurus. Okay, Mark, let's uh, talk about the elephant in the room, not the, the dinosaur in the room. Uh, it's oh, it's to... a bit harsh, man. I think you've lost weight, mate, so I wouldn't be that harsh on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're yeah, on. You're, the, you've missed the me. Re- you've missed me. The Rioja has kicked well and truly in. You're in fine <laughs> fiddle. Uh, yeah, no, I'm feeling good. Lockdown's been kind to me, weirdly. Um, but let's talk about the two elephants in the room uh, Man United and Liverpool. We'll start with Manchester United against Spurs. They got the opening goal and the opening minute a penalty decision. Uh, it finished, though, 6 1. Uh, it was an extraordinary game. Uh, the, the, I suppose we'll have to start with, um, I think the red card for Martial was probably the turning point, which left United a bit exposed. Yeah. What did you yeah, make yeah. of Listen, that moment? The turning point for a 6-1, yes. The turning point in terms of, of a result, as in Spurs, Spurs winning uh, the game as a, as a result of that, I think Spurs would have won the game anyway. I think Spurs were, were too good anyway. I thought Man United are very, very poor. Um, was it a red card? Yes, it was a red card, but Lamella should have been sent off as well. So I don't understand why VAR didn't check it. VAR should have checked it, should have confirmed that, that um, 
uh, Martial be sent off, but also then tell the referee, actually, Lamella's got to go as well. But he, they would have checked it, no? I thought that that's part of the rules. That, that, that it would have absolutely been looked at. It has to. Then, I, don't, then I can't understand why Lamella's not being sent off. Because he's elbowed him in the, in the, in the face um, and he's done it with intent. It hasn't been an accident. There's clear intent. Could you um, argue that, and, though? Because he has done it. With, he's, he's, you know, he's not facing him. and He sort of did it backwards as opposed he to... Knows, he knows where he is, mate. He knows, yeah. We're not playing AFL. We're playing football. No, no. And he knows what he's doing. Even in AFL these days, you get, you get suspended for that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, uh, it was a, 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 an interesting moment, but it just seemed after that. There was... Uh, particularly, I loved Harry Kane's goal where he, he did a beautiful slide tackle to, to keep the ball uh, in the box um, and just put United under pressure. But they just looked, I don't know, lackluster. But do you think, is it, is it too... I mean, actually, we, we, you have to ask, Solskjaer must be inches away now. Like, you can't be losing 6-1 as United. It just doesn't I, don't know about it, I don't know about it inches away. You know, there's, there's a number of issues there. Listen, I, I agree. I think, I said it right at the beginning. I, I didn't think... Solskjaer was the right man to take over the job. Yes, the philosophy of Manchester United, fully understanding what makes the club tick, trying to bring back a different type of mentality from, from yesteryear, I get that. But in terms of, I think what we're seeing now is his deficiency in certain aspects of coaching. And that's defensively. You know, they are all over the place. They, they don't, and I've seen this a number of weeks now for Manchester United, if not a number of months now. They don't work together as in, in teams. Like when I say teams, the two centre-halves don't work together. The left-back centre-half and, and the left-side centre-half don't work together. The back four don't work together. They all work individually. They're all, they're all just playing, playing for their own position. You, you can't do that. The players in front, they're not playing, they're not defending as a team. And, and Solskjaer set out for the game. They talked about bringing in defensive players as, as replacements. And he's like, we defend as a team. We need to defend better as a whole team. He's absolutely right. That defensively, as, as a team, you can't, you can't always pinpoint just your back line, your goalkeeper, and say defence is terrible and that's why they're losing games. One of the reasons they're losing games is because they, they've got such an attacking front line that push forward and very rarely track back to help out. Or they're exposed. They're stretched so far that it's very difficult for him to get back. So there's, there's a number of ways to solve that or to, to try and to reduce the number of possibilities of being counted is pushing your back line right up high, pushing your midfield up, making sure that you congest the space. Um, but then also when you do lose possession, particularly in bad areas, that players get back and help out. You've got to double up. You've got to, you've got to work harder. You've got to work as, as a team. Just because your player may make a short, uh, like, a, like a, uh, a run away from goal back into his own half or back into the midfield doesn't mean as a centre-half that you go and follow him. You've got to make a call whether you hold your line. Because the minute you go, if your, your, your full-backs don't tuck in and help out your centre-half, your centre-half is so exposed, he's left one-on-one. -on -one. And if the midfield player makes a run because your striker drops back into that midfield role and, a midfield, and then the midfield player from the opposition makes a run into a forward position, if he's not tracked, it's two against one. And far often... Far often, that happens. He's not tracked. And we see it time and time again at Manchester United. I think individually, there, there, there are some decent players there. But as a unit, when you don't work together as a unit, when you don't communicate enough, they all look bang average. 
and they get exposed for all their little de deficiencies that they, they have. It gets magnified, and that's very much what's happening with Manchester United right now. They're not doing enough training. They're not doing the right training. Maybe they're doing loads of training defensively, but they're obviously not getting the right messages across. They're not working well enough as a unit. There, there may be a deficiency in the coaching setup. Because I'm not saying Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, th there's no reason why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be a good defensive coach. Yeah. Because you know, you're not expecting a coach to have everything in their armory. But then what he has to do is he has to bring the right people in to do the right job to, to make up for his deficiencies in various areas. And I don't think whoever's doing it is the right person to do it. So speaking of the uh, defensive deficiencies, I never thought I would ever, I, I firmly believe this, would have to say this scoreline. Aston Villa 7, Liverpool 2. I mean, what is going yeah. on? We're talking about a back line that feels like hasn't changed for years. Feels like they've made maybe three mistakes as a collective ever. And then all of a sudden, oh, I just couldn't believe it. What, what, what went, I mean, you, you, we know that we'll get to Adrian in a moment. He, he did unfortunately have a bit of a shocker. But defensively, what, 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 what happened? Um, I wonder, it's the game that's immediately starts after the Manchester United Tottenham game. So Manchester United just get absolutely pummeled 6-1, right? And they're atrocious. I don't know whether, and it's during the period of time where, where Liverpool are preparing for the game. They're warming up. They're doing all that. I don't know whether that filters through the news, which they'll know the, they'll know the score. There's no doubt. They'll hear the score. Whether they get a little bit relaxed then and think, right, we've got this. It's only, it's only Aston Villa. We've got this in the bag. Playing a high line. It'll just happen. It just goes to show if you are not switched on every time. What Liverpool are learning, and a lot of these players are learning, is that when you're champions, every team wants to knock you off that perch. Yeah. Every team, every game is, is a cup final for them because you are now the number one target for everyone. And that's what Manchester United did so well for so long. They were after repeat, repeat all the time. They got used to being that team that everyone wanted to hunt down, but they hunted everyone else down. They were better at it. Manchester City did it two seasons ago when they won back-to-back, -back, and they were the first team to do it, I think, in 10 years. Mm. Um, and when I spoke to Vincent Company uh, a couple of years before that, when they won the title, I think it was uh, 2012 maybe or 2014, uh, it must have been a bit later, 2014 or so. He said to me, um, when they won the league, he said, I told them, you know, we knew that it was going to be difficult to win the league, but we won it and we, we had a different mindset when we came back. You could feel it. Players just thought we were going to win the next year. But it doesn't happen that way. You've actually got to be better. You've got to be more switched on. Everyone's hunting you down and everyone wants to take that crown off you. And they, and they got beaten. And it wasn't, and it was the mentality that needed to change. And they managed to do it, to win it back to back, but then they dropped off the pace again. Now Liverpool are finding out what it takes to be hunted every week. Even more so than just being Liverpool and everyone wants to beat Liverpool because they're just Liverpool. Now they're Liverpool plus they're champions of England. Yeah. And hunted they were yesterday. That Villa were yeah. relentless. They were, they were. You know what? Villa, Villa deserved all the luck they got. They got massive amounts of luck. They scored two massively deflected goals. Yeah. The first goal, obviously, was a major mistake from Adrian. There's no hiding from it. However, it comes about because of Villa's, Villa's willingness 
to put pressure on Liverpool, showing no fear. And yes, it was in the first couple of minutes of the game. And you don't expect them to show fear in that couple, those first couple of minutes. But it's, that, that's how you win games. You win games by the way you start the game. You set a marker. And they did that right from the off. They forced the mistake and they capitalised on it. You can argue all day long how poor Liverpool were. They had far more possession than, than Villa. But Villa were masters at taking their chances with a bit of luck along the way. But they took their chances. And they made Liverpool pay for being way off their game defensively really poor. I mean, the free kick goal where, you know, they've, 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 they've held their line. The closest player for Liverpool to defend once the ball went over everyone's head and got headed back across the goal, mm-hmm. the closest Liverpool player to the ball to get back and try and defend was Firmino. Which is, yeah. tells you everything. Where is Gomez? Where is Van Dijk? Where is Robinson? Where is, you know, Alexander-Arnold? You know, where are they? And, and, and these are the guys that need to be there. They, need to be there. they just seem like they're in, they're in second, third gear the whole game. There was, and, and Jurgen Klopp said it himself. They showed very little desire, very little urgency. They just weren't on their game. Let's do some speculation. We've got to talk as we wind up here on the Two Sharp Reds. It is, of course, transfer deadline day. Currently recording, it is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We've got until 11 o'clock Greenwich meantime uh, until... It all ends up. So I'm having a look at some of the stories that are floating around at the moment. We know that Sessegnon has gone on loan from Spurs to Hoffenheim. Theo Walcott's currently on his way down to Southampton uh, for a loan move. The big one is, uh, and talking about United, Cavani is expected to be announced very shortly. That, uh, if I was a United fan, Mark, I'd be worried about that one. It's exciting. It's a good name. But it's just got the writing on the wall of another foul cow, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. No, but you know what? No, I think Cavani will be better. I think Cavani will be a really good signing, but they don't need a striker. No. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, the only, the only thing I would say, he brings something a little bit different. I, I'm a big fan of Cavani. I think he's a fantastic player. Um, and Manchester United, you would, you would think, can bring in a player like Cavani plus bring in three defenders or two defenders. I don't understand why someone like Upa Makano from uh, RB Leipzig is not heading anywhere to a big club because he's a phenomenal centre-half and he's 22 years old, French international. Um, big fan of his. So the interesting thing is, you know, apparently Bayern Munich are still persisting in trying to get Callum Hudson-Odoi. Um, Why, Ruben though? Why though? He, well, they tried to sign him. They wanted him before he got injured, before he re-signed his new contract. They obviously see him as, a, as, as, a, as, a, as a, you know, the next best thing. I don't know. I, I actually, if I were Callum Hudson-Odoi, and I say this with reservation because obviously my affiliation with Chelsea and being in the club, I think he's best to go there because Bayern have an incredible reputation of integrating the youth with their experience and taking them to a completely different level. Chelsea are trying to do that. This, this last 12 months, they've evolved. Will they continue to try and do that? Let's wait and see. But they, they have done it and they've done it very, very successfully. I just don't know whether Hudson Odoi is going to produce it week in, week out at Chelsea. A change of scenery on loan, uh, I think it could be a really good move for him. The thing is, it looks like Bayern want to have the option to buy him as well, which makes sense. The other player that's interesting from Chelsea is Ruben Loftus Cheek is available for loan. Apparently, both Fulham and West Ham are interested in him, but his wages are a big issue. So 
and, and this is the thing, you know, like I, I think for someone like Fulham, uh, and I've been very critical of Fulham because I think they're, they're, and I've said it many, many times already this season, they're going down, they're not good enough unless there's some major, major changes in personnel. And my, my understanding and my feeling, the, 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 um, the feeling I get from Scott Parker, he is also of the opinion he needs to improve his squad. He needs better caliber players to give themselves a chance to stay in the league. I, I've said it right at the beginning as well. I don't understand why Fulham haven't been trying to get these players earlier. Why they haven't been knocking on the door at Chelsea and going, listen, we can't afford to pay 150 grand a week, which is what Ruben Loftus-Cheek is earning, but we'll give him 75 grand a week. And you pay the other 75 grand a week, you get it, we'll have him for a season. At the end of the season, you go back. You get, he gets a full season of Premier League experience again under his belt, where he's going to play every game, unless he's injured. And I think he could be a really good signing for them. Um, there's a number of players. They could have been knocking the door at various clubs like Arsenal, Chelsea. You know, players that don't necessarily need to move either. So the move to Fulham is actually a pretty straightforward and easy move for them. If they could have brought in two or three really good experienced players. With, but young players like Lofton Street, he's got experience in the Premier League. Good experience in the Premier League. Yeah. You know, and, and could have added invaluable experience and quality to, to a very below average Fulham team at the moment. So I'm sure there'll be lots of movements uh, in the transfer window after this episode uh, has concluded of the two shut reds, but we'll leave the, the rest of the transfer movements in the very capable hands of the Gagan pod gentlemen. So Mark, let's talk as we wind things up now, let's talk about our wine. Uh, I've gone for the Pedreira, uh, full bodied, unoaked, uh, capturing the essence of Jumilla, of course, the municipal, of course, I say, of course, the municipality in Spain, because uh, we all know that. Uh, 25-year-old vines, smooth and a very complete read. i got to say, I absolutely loved it. Uh, and it's been a bit complicated when thinking who I need to compare this player to because it doesn't give a lot away. Um, it's a pretty exciting wine, but there's a, there's a few things in, in that explanation that, that, that make it pretty obvious for me. So uh, for starters, uh, the essence of Jumilla which being a municipality says to me, they play by their own rules, uh, which I, which I really <laughs> which like. Mo- which, which most, most municipalities do in Spain. Correct. Yep, exactly. And I, I'm a big fan of, big fan of that. You know that. And the 25 year old vines um, sort of is sort of, it's, it's peak uh, smooth and complete. And I'm not saying this player is necessarily complete because I reckon he's probably got a little bit more to go. But based off his performance on the weekend, so I'm going to make a temporary co- comparison, if that works. So not overall, but just based on his performance on the weekend. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to say that this wine reminds me of the 24-year-old, about to turn 25 in just two months' time, uh, Ollie Watkins. I thought he was exceptional. I thought he played by, he certainly played by his own rules. He had his own ball out there, I thought, against Liverpool. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I think he, he, he was smooth and complete in that game, but I don't think he's complete as a player. I think we've got a lot more to look forward to. I, I just think he was struggling today and you're scraping the barrel. I thought that was good. And Play, yeah, you, can't, you can't just, Come you can't on. just relate to a player on one performance. Come on. Oh. I thought you were better than that, Ollie Gill. I did. Honestly, this I've is a different I've... level. Maybe last week you did stuff <laughs> like that, but not this week anymore. Okay, right. Not on. good enough. All right, well, put, I'll put my hands up and uh, let's get you going then. Get stuck into it. All right, Fincas, Del Lebrel, uh, yep. 2014, Reserva, Rioja, 
fantastic wine for me. Really enjoyed it. When I say fantastic, really good wine. Loved it. Um, Well-structured, integrated, mature tenines, fine-grained. Um, it's um, medium flavour intensity and body, uh, very good quality at a great price point. So taking those in, in, into, into consideration, there's a player that I play with at Fulham. So I'm going back to players I play with. And uh, very, very underrated, understated, and uh, incredible quality uh, at a really, really good price. Um, because he cost, I think, cost Fulham next to nothing when they bought him. Um, he is a player that, well, he was a player that very well structured in terms of his play, discipline, looked after himself really, really well. Um, and he integrated within the group fantastically well, exceptional. Um, I had a really good understanding with him and Breda Hangerland. Uh, as my two centre half uh, pairings, so uh, and we became very very successful together with obviously uh, Paul Kincheski down the left hand side, and whether it was John Pansel down the right. Um, but yeah, very very good guy, very good uh, quality player, underrated, underestimated how good he was. Um, went about his job very very well. None other than Aaron Hughes. Nice, and I'm trying to think price tag wise. Was it a, a, he would have been? I think he price? was a couple of mil. I think he was a couple yeah. of mil. He wasn't much. He was there before I arrived. Um, so played for Northern Ireland. Uh, really, really good player. Really good player. Like for 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 Fulham. For like I said, underrated. Wasn't the tallest, but made up for it because he had a really good spring and uh, positional play was really good. All right, I'll hold my hand up. That was actually yeah, that was impressive. That was good. Well done. Thank you. So yeah. listen, mate, this is what this is all about, mate. Learning. Learning. Exactly. That's another, another lesson for you today. Um, and, uh, you know, I think last week, I didn't hear last week, like I told you, I fell asleep after the first five minutes. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't. But anyway, sounds good. And um, <laughs> I'm not sure what your description was last week, but if and today is anything to go by, I, I just, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to give my Roy Keane verdict on it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pathetic. Pathetic. <laughs> You're not going to uh, pull a Patrice Everett on, you know, you and, and threaten to tear up your two shut Reds contract uh, as we're recording. That may be next week if it persists. Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard as well internationally uh, the, the window might be closing, but there's still room for me to go out on loan uh, to another internal podcast just to, to get my experience up and come back as a, a more well-rounded host. So we'll see. Well, you, you said it first, um, yeah. and there's no reason why that can't happen. No. I'm exploring. I'm on the. I'm in the market. Uh, Mark, thank you very much. Do you want to do the 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 ending to this episode? Well, I, would, I just thought you were going to get carried away and carry no, on. No, gosh, yeah, it's silly. Yeah, unfortunately, we've run out of time again. Yeah. Um, but that's the way it is, and that's the way it happens every week on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, two sharp reds, of course, and I've thoroughly enjoyed my wine. I've enjoyed the company, um, and I'm I'm glad to have brought back some discipline in this group and to raise the bar in terms of standards. Yep. And in subscription of wines and comparing to players. Ollie Gill, you're on notice. Yep. Sort yourself out because I'm not standing for it again next week. <laughs> Cheers, Mark. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.